Hey everybody, I just wanted to quickly say that the music you will be listening to is provided by none other than Legio Symphonica. Legio Symphonica is one of the most talented and incredible composers that I've ever listened to, and he, in his insanity, uh, has been providing bespoke music for channels such as this, as well as a lot of the fan animations that are out there. Um, he's he's just fantastic. And um, I hope that you enjoy the fact that we now have a little piece of his genius uh, as our intro and outro music for podcast. Um, I'm really excited for this week's episode. Uh, we'll be concluding Shadow Sun, but we'll also be completing our season one. Uh, we have uh, we've made it. This is a, a milestone. You know, the views have been have been steadily climbing. We now have a home on the Tau Discord uh, server, Tau40,000, uh, of which there'll be links in the description below. It's uh, it's incredible to see how much this community is alive and just uh, just interacting with one another. Um, really, uh, you know, this started off as just something to do during COVID, and now I find myself looking forward to it uh, every week when we meet on Saturdays. Uh, keep in mind, you are... Uh, always invited. We are on the Tau Discord server. Talks start at around 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's just, it's great to hear from people every now and again. Um, we really get into it, as as with every 40k community, um, and it is just such a privilege um, to uh, to be adding a little something to it. Okay, so we've got a big episode ahead of us. Uh, I'm going to pass it off to Redrix. Um, I'd like to just say thank you again for all the support uh, that many of you have been uh, giving to us. If if you uh, if you ever have any questions or if you would like elaboration or a topic covered, uh, again, please don't hesitate to message us. Um, thank you. Uh, this is Comsword passing it to Redrix. We pick up where we left off, exploring Shadow Sun's accomplishments into the third sphere, as well as her first mistakes. At Mugulath Bay, she'll encounter Farsight and Anva in her command bunker and will focus on both of them to the task at hand. She will defeat a chapter master, outwith both Kato Sicarius and Kasaro Khan, and much more. Please enjoy the conclusion to Shadow Sun and our first season. If you look at Tau commanders, they 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 have to have personal relationships across the casts, um, and it's these personal relationships that allow them to augment their their abilities. So the, the first example of this is like uh, is, is the first generation... are illegal in the Empire. What do you mean? They're not. They really aren't. But we can keep going. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I didn't hear you. What do you say? personal relationships like uh like contacts like uh, think of it as more of like a uh, a political like a like a like a political relationship between an earth cast and a fire cast uh creates creates uh, opportunity right so so the first example of this is commander uh, bright sword uh who 
uh, is responsible for uh, uh, the the Kulith Gorge massacre. He basically just he traps a bunch of Imperial uh, forces on a on a contested world called Nimbosa toward the tail end end of I believe I believe it's like fifty years after. Uh, Damocles Gulf Crusade. So w when it's supposed to be a period of relative peace between the Imperium and the Tau. And he does this without sanction from Tashvar, which is where he's from. Um, he also does it without uh, without kind of caring about the, the larger uh, problems in, 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 uh, in inflicting uh, casualties on a large Imperial world like Nimbosa. And sure enough, um, what happens is, is uh, there's there's a there's a kind of like a minor crusade led by the Black Templars uh, to retake Nimbosa. So that it it's is one there of those... any such thing as a minor crusade involving the Black Templars. <laughs> uh, I mean, if I have to, uh, every now and again, like I'll, I'll butt heads with like Chicken, for example, um, uh, where he says that like the Dam the first Damocles Gulf Crusade is not a good example of a crusade. And I, quite frankly, a, a crusade. A crusade is always going to be a massive conglomeration of different imperial elements, but it's also a word that gets overused because the Black Templars are always on crusade, right? So, like, there has to be there's like a sliding scale, I guess, as to what what that means. But I mean, the ultra the ultramarines, the Black Templars, and several other Space Marine chapters are involved in the resulting like let's call it a brush fire war because it's not a full on uh, conflict, but. The bright sword goes back to uh, he's he's summoned back to Tashvar, where he is uh, he's the 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 process of makla, which is um, it's basically a lot of people thought that it meant execution, and that's just because the they never expanded on that. But when they did expand on it, makla is basically censorship. Uh, you get brought in the your failings as an individual to the greater good are kind of writ like written out and stated publicly. And it's almost like a public shaming because we know that the Tau don't have public public executions. We also know the Tau don't have prisons because the Tau society just doesn't work that way. So they um, ban them off of Facebook and then they cry about being censored. Actually, I was in a discussion with this the other day about someone about uh, cr crime and specifically, actually, how much like chaos influence a single Tau world has. Because obviously Tau have just innately less, you know, impact on the warp. But then they also don't really have problems, so to speak, right? Like, while there absolutely are, like, minor spats in Tau society, like you see with Farsight and his tutor, for instance, that's, like, the most internal conflict we've ever really seen. Yep, yep. I, I would say that... So... Okay, so so for I, I think I, I might have brought this up uh, before with you, Love Job. Um, but like, if you look at if you look at forty k, the, the galaxy of Warhammer forty thousand, it's inherently a human place. Um, yeah. We like like demons have at this point after I mean you had you had like a like a se several million years you had a period of Eldar uh, hegemony. Um, um, I believe they called themselves the High Dominion of the Eldar. Like that's the that's the Golden Age of the Eldar. Um, and and while this is going on, they sorry, 
I'm just going to turn off. Hey, Redrix, remember you were telling the old man that is sitting across from you how to silence notifications in, in Discord? So, so you go down and you click your profile picture and you click do not disturb. <laughs> Grandpa. Thank you for that. No, I just, you know, it just it it's easier for me if I insult myself first and then you like layer it on like no, icy. Um, <laughs> gotta have layers but, to the cake. Um, <laughs> but uh, but okay, so in a galaxy where human being, I mean, let's just look at the word guela, right? So guela means lowest being, but because Tau don't have the same like like to be the the difference between like a Shasla and a Shaso culturally there there is no difference um, because each serves their purpose each each has been deemed that like this is this is what you do now we associate youth a lot with Shasla but that's just because it's the most I mean you you constantly have incoming generations that have to prove themselves nobody graduates from any of the war academies as a like a Shaswi right. Um, the most that you're going to get is like a little bit more responsibility in the form of being called a team leader or a project leader, things like that. But you're still going to be la, right? So it's the most numerous rank. And then over time, you know, you get we, gray, and so on. So when you see the two words gue being in la, which is lowest, you want to, you want to like instinctually, you want to like apply a human, or at least a, I mean, in the case of the pe the people that are here that are in the Western world, like lowest means like, oh, you're like a plebe or a civilian or like something, you know, less than. But the Tao, uh, at least in the connotations of the rest of their language, Guela just means most numerous being, which is again, really interesting if you think about how the Imperium has like, I mean, depending on your Google search has like three to four quintillion human beings. So all of these human beings relatively are spread across about like, I mean, I think it's hyperbolic, but like, let's say it's a million worlds. So those million worlds then simultaneously have uh, hives, right? Which have billions of people inside of each of them. Um, and I would say that probably over two thirds of the human population worship the emperor or some, you know, some idea of the emperor. And all of that has an effect on the warp. Now it doesn't just have the effect that, I mean, as 40k, and I'm going to use the term uh, sparingly, but as 40k gets dumbed down so that people don't have to rely on uh, neckbeards like myself in order to spend long hours trying to explain how the warp actually works. Yeah, we're um, here anyway, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the point of the podcast. Yeah. Amen. Oh, come on. Come on, console. You're not a neckbeard. You know what, uh, Black Comet, if you, the next time you look at some artwork of any ethereals with uh, facial hair, notice that the beard doesn't start at the chin or the sides of the face. It literally starts at the neck. So I'm proudly a neck beard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So, so amidst all of these quintillions of, of human beings, you have, uh, you have this really unusual uh, event in that uh, not only is the emperor, uh, I mean, in the case of the 30th millennium, um, the emperor is not only becoming a god without him wanting to be a god. I mean, depending on which horse heresy book you, you read, um, humanity is also having a direct effect on the warp as a whole. Um, and, uh, and we talked about it in a previous episode, but like humanity is like the perfect, it's the, it's the special sauce for demonic entities, or let's just call it warp-based entities. 
they love humanity. They love the mythology. There's so many different ways to like sneak into human societies and set yourself up as a god. Uh, the demons, uh, such as uh, the the echo of the first murder, which is this uh, this guy called Drachnian, who eventually gets Christ, you know, like basically focused into a sword, which then later on gets picked up by Abaddon. Like he is the echo of like Cain killing Abel, and the amount of symbolism that is tied in with humanity, as well as their propensity for wanting to create religions left front and center, uh, it has basically made the warp kind of like. Well, I guess the human version of the afterlife, both positive and negative. As a result of that, all the other species in the galaxy actually have a really difficult time, like, let's call it coordinating with the warp, like like the Nikasar, for example. Now, the Nikasar are, uh, you know, uh, depending on who you talk to, you know, but they're just you know, giant bear people, right? Or giant squid people. And uh, and somebody recently brought up, I think somebody here brought up the fact that since they're empathically supercharged, they might have the same kind of an effect on a species that the emperor did, which is when you look at a Nikasar, it is whatever you think it is. Um, and it basically is like your, your eyes are just being kind of tricked. So whatever whatever they end up, may end up being, um, the Nikasar are a galaxy-spanning species. Uh, they're all the way in the Tempesta segmentum. Uh, they're up in the Ghoul Stars. Um, and uh, there's a branch of them that has been adopted basically by the Tau. And yet their society kind of barely understands what is in the warp. Um, they, they have like a loose understanding that yes, there of course there are like sentient entities and, and, and even parasitic entities, but they don't have names for them. Uh, meanwhile, you know, and, and remember the Nikasar don't have faster than light travel, so if they are a galaxy-spanning species, then theoretically they could be as old as the old ones. They could be one of the original races um, in, in order to have been uh, proliferated throughout the, the galaxy this much. Um, for them to not understand the demonic elements of, and, and when I say demonic, I mean you know uh, active 40K warp beings. Uh, for them not to understand what those are really... Uh, cements the idea that humanity within the span of uh, let's say 15,000 years has gone through several different versions of civilization which either completely owns demons and like subjugates them in the case of uh, like well in the case of some some of the minor civilizations and especially the Terran ones that the emperor destroyed um, or had a full understanding like the Interrex which basically like like were friends with the eldar and like tried to seal off uh tried to seal off the warp um from their society so that's really indicative of how human the warp is you get uh and and oh i guess we've lost him so i've out talked jub jub but to answer his original question um the tau their society is basically a natural buffer to almost all of the, let's call it all of the contagions of Warhammer 40K. So like gene stealer cults, well, uh, to, to use kind of brutal vocabulary, but like a gene stealer basically infects uh, a human being um, with the gene stealer's kiss. He injects, it injects typically a male uh, with what is basically like tyrannid gene seed, right? Now that rewrites 
the person's DNA and they become like like an Olympian. They become they become everything that uh, our genes uh, want to be, but at like the al- let's call it like the alpha level. And the whole point of that is to make that individual as uh, as as desirable as a, of a mate as possible. Um, barring that, then the person will you know uh, violate a, a female um, if it can't attract a female. Uh, which then creates, uh, w- which he then passes on the uh, the the tainted genes, uh, which then causes that female to uh, begin to not only have a child but also have her uh, genes rewritten as well. The child that's born as a result of that is an abomination. However, to the parents uh, who are being now kind of artificially puppeted uh, by the influence of the gene stealer. Uh, think it's the most you know it's the most beautiful baby. There's nothing wrong with it. They grab the baby and they they go to the outskirts of society where they then basically start the cult. And now that that process is repeated a couple hundreds of thousands of times, stretched across several generations. Um, and the cult is able to grow in the in on the outskirts of human society. On a hive world, it's typically uh, beneath the hive. Uh, on a civilized planet, it's like in the wilderness. So. So human society is like perfect to be infiltrated. Now that just doesn't exist for the Tao. The Tao uh, have a completely integrated society in which, if something did happen to the you, know, the you uh, if you were a Tao, if something happened to you and you were suddenly like, "I need to procreate like immediately," well, procreation is really like monitored in 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 the Tao in Tao society, and that's because. They uh, constantly want everybody to have the 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 uh, most uh, comfortable amount of resources available, um, and for everybody to have a job. So, so, so they they really curtail spontaneous uh, couplings, unless you're on the outskirts or 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 in a in a sept that doesn't mind it. Um, I've had my theories that Tashfar probably doesn't have very uh, strict procreation laws as opposed to you know like Tau. So. If you got infected by uh, a gene stealer and you're in this society and you're suddenly like, I need, you know, I need to mate right now, um, people are going to call you out and be like, hey, w- what's up? And let's say you even did manage to figure out how to then uh, procreate. Tau, uh, what we know about the Tau birthing cycle is that you know, it's something, something between like three and four months, so really, really quick gestation, um, and then a childhood uh, that is between like one and let's say eight years for the sake of argument. Um, but you are raised communally. If you're not raised within like a, a familial unit or a teleseri bond, uh, you are then sent to a crèche where, where like the, where, where society raises you. If you were to steal your child and try to run away somewhere, all of Tao society would be concerned about that. And it would raise a red flag. On top of that, Tao society is probably the healthiest place to be in Warhammer 40k, where people are regularly screened for diseases, um, so much so that they have identified the gene stealer kiss and actually can cure it at the first generation level. So expand that to like the notion of chaos corruption. Tao society just doesn't have any of the ways in that chaos has become like used to. A chaos entity would have to be really, really. You'd have to touch a, uh, a um, uh, you, unprotected you warp drive, right? Yeah, not even a warp drive, Redrix. A Geller field. Literally oh yeah. The thing, literally the thing that removes demons from existence, from reality, whatever. 
<laughs> anyway, we're Would you? Now. There's a lot of people here. Hi, Freud. Hi, hi, Gravesa. Uh, uh, EU29, always good. Let's, uh, uh, Black Comet, I'm going to move you to the audience, boss man. Thank you for the preamble. Um, we should get into it um, and start talking about uh, Shadow Sun uh, Chapter 2. So, uh, Redrix, with your, with your blessing? Sure. I mean, yeah, you're good. Okay, cool. All right, so where we left off uh, last week is Shadow Sun has meticulously created the created an opportunity for the Tau Commonwealth to expand aggressively into Imperial space. This isn't in just one region, which you could say the uh, Farsight Reclamation force uh, that, that took place about 200 years prior to this uh, just went after the Timbra subsector um, and then moved on to the unknown uh, patch of space that eventually gets called the, the Enclaves. Uh, Shadow Sun instead does a multi-pronged uh, series of salients, um, very much like, actually, uh, very much like a, 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 an Imperial Crusade. Uh, she launches uh, forces to the north of Dalith, which, uh, which goes into uh, kind of let's call it like the old Tau space um, places like Kronos, which is uh, what the uh, the game the video game um, Dawn of War takes place on. Um, Teros, uh, Typha Five, um, all of these all of these different uh, worlds that that um, that previously were kind of within the Tau reach. She brings she brings uh, third sphere forces back to. But what she also does is she sends. Uh, forces uh, out out of Tashvar and the Western Empire to cross uh, a region of uh, of space that that does that's that's actually beyond the Damocles Gulf and 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 we let, let's use the term south. If you're looking at a town map, uh, these these forces go south toward Ultramar, which is really uh, one of the I think is 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 really intriguing, and we can talk about that later. Uh, but uh, but she also sends forces into the Zone of Silence, which is the uh, the area that was going to be the Sept Shadreg, um, one of the most uh, one of the most uh, hopeful uh, septs uh, that was uh, destroyed uh, and, and consumed by High Fleet Gorgon. Um, and there is, um, depending on the sources, uh, you can see the map from the Second Tau Codex. Uh, at this point, this would have been Anshi's. Uh, uh, launch to go and investigate what happened to Farsight. Now, just because that's always a really interesting uh, bit of history, Anshi, and, and we don't know how this happened, but Anshi ends up in uh, Kimura, uh fighting in a gladiatorial pit owned by uh, a dark Eldar pirate queen. Th there's been some argument as to the can canonicity of this, but needless to say, um, Anshi kind of disappears from the stage at around this time. We don't know we don't know what happened to him and we don't know what happened to his expedition that went to the enclaves. But Shadow Sun is in charge of all of this. She is coordinating on a massive level. Uh and and remember since the Tau don't have faster than light communications, she's basically uh getting ready to if if anybody's an Enders uh Enders game fan, she's effectively setting up a series of attacks and she's layering them together, and and just has to trust her team or or her uh, the commanders that um, that she started with. She has to trust that they will be able to accomplish their goals. 
without being able to uh, call for reinforcements from her or the greater uh, sept space of the first and second spheres. So, so she herself, uh, very interestingly, she herself crosses, uh, begins the crossing of the Damocles Gulf by kind of wrapping up uh, a campaign that she orchestrated against the Dark Eldar uh, in the uh, Colne system, which is just north of Delith. In doing so, uh, with, with, these, with these smaller, uh, much more maneuverable groups, she's able to move uh, quickly um, and arrive across the Gulf in several different places at once. Now, again, we don't know too much about these opening moves of the third sphere, but what we do know is that human collaborators, um, uh, one uh, being mentioned as uh, an unnamed human collab collaborator, singular, uh, operating by himself, basically uh, hands Shadow Sun the keys to the Timbra subsector. And about 70% of the worlds that subsequently fall to the third sphere, uh, the initial third sphere uh, advances, are done so all relatively bloodlessly. I mean, I can Im imagine that uh, there's probably a lot of government overthrowing, um, assassinations, sabotage, things like that. But there are no major engagements in the in the in the first months of the third sphere advance. That's something to really keep in mind again, that Shadow Sun has worked with the water cast and worked with human auxiliaries conceivably to be able to accomplish massive military gains. Now, this information is old. It comes from uh, I believe two thousand six. Um, this was kind of Shadow Sun's first big steps as a character in Warhammer 40,000. Um, uh, in, in the Medusa 5 campaign, as well as uh, the previous Eye of Terror campaign, we know that the Tau Commonwealth adds uh, between 33 and 35%, uh, it's an approximation, uh, to its, hold, its, its initial holdings. And uh, quote-unquote, uh, several steps, uh, as well as these, these contested worlds are kind of taken very quickly. Some of these um, are now in the, in the codexes officially uh, in the form of like Firios, which was taken by Shaso uh, Kais, um, and as well as Kisimien, which, which again was taken with the help of human collaborators. So, so what, what starts here is a kind of a snowball effect. And something to keep in mind is that, you know, the, a lot of people are always looking for like how how to make the Tau more grimdark. This this is a this is kind of a, a sneak attack. Uh, at the time, at least on paper, the Dalith ceasefire was still full in effect um, from the perspective of the local imperial leaders, uh, the imperial governors of the area. Uh, sure, every now and again, and if you look at the timeline, you can see this. You'll have like uh, Adeptus Mechanicus exploratory units like burning off a planet. Uh, or two, because that's just what they do. Uh, you have you have some space marines, including like, the space wolves, going in and and uh, and you know and blowing up a Tau facility, things like that. But it, it's very much a Cold War period uh, where outright conflict doesn't really seem to happen between the Imperium uh, and the and the Commonwealth. The one exception is the Iron Hammer campaign, which uh, which happens uh, accidentally, uh, in which a uh, uh, Cadian reinforcements to the uh, to the 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 
the war zone of of the dam of the first Damocles Gulf were supposed to arrive at Dalith, and instead they arrive in Kels, uh, uh, in the kind of Kelshan Sept region, uh, while the while the Tyranids are attacking in the form of High, High Fleet Gorgon. But about 150 years late, that's the only major period of conflict uh, in this 200 year period between forces of the Imperium and the forces of the, the Tau. So. So when Shadow Sun decides to launch the Third Sphere, she's she's breaking that treaty, um, and she's doing it uh, willfully and conscientiously. And there is no formal declaration of war, but what results is like Tau basically just show up in the in the in, in, at least in terms of the Eastern Fringe uh, in the living room um, of countless uh, Imperial uh, locations and 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 you know and and perhaps like you could throw the number around of like between 40 to 50 different planets, which is a big deal on the Eastern fringe. Um, obviously this is 40 K. So everything's monolithic and huge, but everything gets smaller and smaller as you get toward the Eastern fringe. The last major planet is uh, Carduniash, uh, which is the, which is the, the naval um, is the major naval base for the Imperium in the area uh, where Ultima, uh, uh, the Ultima fleet, is stationed, but really what the Imperium relies upon is uh, the realm of Ultramar itself. Uh, and the hundred to, th depending on what time period you're in, the hundred to 300 worlds uh, that, it, that, that are inside of its realm. But that's in a relatively small pocket of space and everything else is, is, is very, you know, let's call it hayseed. The Tau are able to scoop up a lot of these planets, um, which are extremely vital, that just don't have the means to defend themselves. Now, again, um, Shadow Sun does this, and it, it, it is a testament to her abilities as a military strategist. She does this on purpose. She tries to take as much, uh, you know, land as possible because she knows, based on her uh, study of the Imperium, based on her experiences against them, she knows that once the uh, proverbial giant is 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 awoken, um, it's going to come down. Uh, on the Tau with the full force of, of, of whatever it can muster. And now remember, uh, the Tau have a relatively small population. Um, they do have auxiliaries, but even those numbers pale in comparison to just the sheer weight of bodies that the Imperium can throw at a problem. Even though most of the Imperial military might is being sent to the Eye of Terror, it still has more than enough uh, fleets and regiments and 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 armies to be able to deal with a force of a couple hundred planets on the eastern fringe. Fringe. So Shadow Sun is immediately preparing for this inevitability, and now that is where we kind of enter into phase two of Shadow Sun's plan. So to recap a little bit, she's taken a whole bunch of land, a whole a whole bunch of planets. Uh, conflicts like Teros happen. Um, she she also sends out uh, really, really, really far-reaching um, custodian class uh, ships. These are these are brand new uh, sh ships of the line. They're you know they're the equivalent of uh, a Tau version of a battleship. Uh, they're really cool. They 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 they're, they're kind of these two-pronged uh, wings, and and they're probably my favorite ship. Uh, they are packed with cadres and they are stripped down to the bare minimum so that they don't uh, show up on radar. And these strike out in all directions. 
hitting uh, hitting imperial trade routes as well as hitting um, worlds that, uh, for, quite frankly, the Imperium needs um, uh, to, in in order to survive. As a result, the Imperium hardens its borders. It it, it really digs in as it always does, and Shadow Sun uh, pounces on uh, the a region of space that's called the Gilded Worlds. So. I know I'm throwing a lot at you right now, but basically, imagine if you were in, if you were watching two boxers um, squaring off with each other. Um, effectively, Shadow Sun just does a flurry of uh, quick jabs, and that forces uh, the, her her counterpart, the Imperium as a whole, um, to basically kind of like knuckle up and try to try to block the face, right, and and try to weather this attack. And of course, that's exactly where Shadow Sun wants them. They, she wants her opponent blind. And she strikes at a planet called Agrelin. Um, Now, for people that, obviously everybody, mo most people will know what a hive world is. Um, and, and a hive world is, is, is very precious. Uh, they're, they're incredibly well defended. They have, they're, they're typically ancient going back thousands of years. And Agrelin is no different. When Shadow Sun shows up, she takes the world within a few weeks. Now, this has led to a lot of people just saying, like, oh, plot armor again, right? Another instance of that. But her, if you if you read Kon, uh, the 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 supplement that that describes this campaign, it really stresses the fact that Shadow Sun is attacking this world uh, in a multi-tiered approach. Uh, first of all, she's got Anba with her, and I will say that that's a massive mistake. That's going to be a problem uh, for this for the entire third sphere uh, in just a little bit. But Anva is bringing the the bleeding edge of of technology and 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 kind of the finest warriors from uh, Tau, Viorla, and Sakia. Uh, in order to engage and take this planet, which they do. Uh, the Riptides uh, make their debut. They're devastating. Um, uh, the, the level of complexity of working with uh, hu human, human forces that have, have decided to turn coat uh, is, is a testament to the water cast. And then, of course, Anva himself, who is uh, kind of catapulting uh, the morale of, uh, of the Tau and Auxiliary forces that are under uh, under Shadow Sun's command. However, it's at this moment that Shadow Sun kind of realizes she might have made this might be a mistake. The planet that is a Grelin, which will turn into Mugaloth Bay, they they uh, they capture it and they and they instantly start terraforming it uh, when they or Tau forming it, I guess. Um, but when they do that, they kind of inherit all of the problems. That the Imperium has and kind of just shoulders. Like the Imperium can ha can have a starvation issue. It's it's not a big deal. You just make people eat each other and and you're fine. Um, humanity can 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 have this uh, this unwieldy you know slow and ponderous government because it just kills anybody that steps out of line. The Tau don't do that. The Tau have believe that you know you should drink have drinking water. Uh, and food, and in order to feed the billions of people that are on Agrelin, it costs an enormous amount of of material to do this. And so, what ends up happening is you you have you have a, a slowdown, 
uh, where, or like a quagmire basically, where the casts are both kind of horrified by what they find, like this is how human beings live, uh, and and that and that kind of it it, it disgusts them and it demoralizes them uh, that that th these are their enemies, um, and 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 they also take pity on them. So so what ends up happening is is that a lot of the the largest influx of Guevessa, but also prisoners Guela, like what you know. Guela, the, the difference between the two, a Guela is just a, you know, your run-of-the-mill basic human. And then a Guevesa is a is a is a human that has decided to join the Commonwealth um, and uh, and then find service uh, in some way. The largest influx since Farsight's initial incorporation of uh, the Guela of the Damocles Gulf Crusade uh, starts uh, uh, begins. Um, after the taking of Agrelin. And these populations are, at first they try to like bring them back into the Commonwealth. Now that's going to take a really long time. Um, in other cases, they just kind of create like, uh, you know, let, let's call it like holding pens. Uh, and, and in doing so, uh, again, it just, all of this great momentum that Shadow Sun had got going um, kind of stalls out here. So sensing this, what she does is, uh, she strikes out, let's say, kind of on her own, which she's known for doing this. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't invest large uh, numbers and 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 lots of VIPs in in her attacks. Uh, and she goes after a nearby system uh, called uh, Prefectia. Um, now, at this point, it's suspected that Shadow Sun actually starts using something called the Mirror Codex. And the Mirror Codex is something that Farsight basically uh, created uh, during the during the first battle uh, during the, during the Dalith campaign, um, two hundred years prior. The Mirror Codex is effectively everything. It's the distilled theory of war that Farsight has come up with in how to deal with the Imperium specifically. And it's believed that around this time that Shadow Sun begins uh, taking notes out of it. Now, this is kind of a this is kind of like a bad move. Uh, obviously, everything that uh, the uh, Tau propaganda machine, as well as 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 well as the Tau upper hierarchy of of command, uh, views anything that comes out of Farsight as as volatile. Um, I, I I I'd like to remind everybody that Farsight's teachings led to things like the Kolith Gorge massacre, where Brightsword. Uh, annihilated um, imperial guard that were trying, uh, as well as civilians that might have been trying to surrender. Um, Farsight has a has a much heavier hand in dealing with the Imperium. Um, he also kind of cracked the code a little bit on Space Marines, uh, but any, but anything that uh, comes from his teachings is frowned upon and very uh, very suspect. So for Shadow Sun to do this, it's a uh, it's kind of like an it's an unusual step for her, and. Perhaps this is why, perhaps this is why she decides to follow up in the perfect execution of Kaon to take a Grelin, um, with a little bit of Monka, which uh, which are the two major uh, stratagems of of Tau warfare. There are more, um, and I and I advise everybody to take a look at the lexicon where I think there there are seven major uh, philosophies of war where you can where you can see how other commanders have developed them over time. But Kaon and Monica are the two big ones, and she, uh, Shadow Sun, uh, borrows some of the way of war from Farsight and attacks Perfectia. Now, for me, I thought that this would be where Shadow Sun makes her biggest mistake. 
because unlike a ghrelin, which is already, again, I, I can't really think of many hive worlds that have actually been successfully uh, occupied as opposed to, you know, conquered where, where they've been destroyed and, and, and people have to build them back up, such as in the case of uh, the planet Armageddon. Um, but Perfectia is a fortress world. Uh, it is, uh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a terrestrial gun space. And for Shadow Sun to attack here represents a boldness that usually gets you killed. Um, especially when you have kind of awoken to the attentions of the local space marine lords in the region, which is a guy named Severax. He's the uh, chapter master of the Raven Guard, um, a brilliant uh, tactician. Um, expert at, at uh, hit and run attacks. Uh, every, he's he's your quintessential Raven Guard, and he and he's the chapter master to boot, uh, as well as Corsaro Khan, who is probably one of the most famous uh, Space Marine heroes there is. Um, very much known for head hunting and going after uh, you know VIPs, and and he likes to. He's a big collector of heads. So, so both of them are aware that this. That, that Shadow Sun has now launched this giant campaign and they they are they're gunning for her. Prefectia, as I stated, is a for, is a fortress world. Um, but perhaps this is where I would think that that's an insane. Um, Shadow Sun has clearly outthought uh, yours truly in that she knows that the garrison force has also been weakened at Prefectia. The the Imperials have relied upon the fact that they have you know a, a gazillion guns pointed at the sky uh nobody would would ever dare attack uh something like it uh so they've they've halved or even or maybe even reduced the garrison to a tenth of its normal size in doing so the planet is really open for attack and shadow sun does so uh and 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 has where where Agrellon was the first victory, Perfectia is an, is an even bigger victory. Um, as a result, the planet is subdued. There is, uh, this is the first instance where Corsaro, Corsaro, ah, excuse me, Corsaro Khan um, kind of recognizes that, that Shadow Sun is the person to beat. He, uh, he, he makes an oath in front of his fellow space marines that he's going to take her head. Um, he won't, um, which again is a testament to Shadow Sun's acumen. Um, and in fact, in late, uh, as, as the conflict zone builds up in this region, um, in what will be, what will be called, uh, the, uh, Damocles war zone or war zone Damocles, uh, she will actually constantly bait these space Marines. Um, she has a, she has an insight to the fact that these are, these are beings of honor, right? Um, but she uses that against them. She knows that every time that they make a big declaration, you know, the codexes are filled with it of like space Marines getting on top of a rock and like making a promise to the universe that they're going to do something. Well, Shadow Sun doesn't fight like that. And in fact, the Tau don't fight like that either. Uh, and as a result, they just basically go, you know, okay, so come at me. <laughs> and Shadow Sun is constantly kind of teasing Corsaro Khan across four different planetary war zones uh and he will he will give up what he's doing like let's say let's say the white scars are, are hanging out an airfield if he finds out that shadow sun is six or seven miles away he'll drop what he's doing and go after her uh as a result the airfield never gets taken um and so 
it's interesting because I don't actually know of any, and, and, and I'm not, I don't know everything about Warhammer 40k, uh, but I can't actually think of a period short of when the Primarchs were fighting each other, that they understood each other's uh, passions and they understood each other's uh, logic so intimately. Um, I, I, specific, I specifically talk about when Rogel Dorm was lured into, uh, into a, an assault uh, of, uh, of his brother's fortress world um, and, and, and just, I think, lost like, something like half of his legion. Um, after which he, you know, he adopts this, this pain glove because he's so embarrassed that he was so played that, uh, that he, he just, you know, he, he, he's like just constantly chastising himself. So Shadow Sun, in the, in the span of, of, of 40K history, is really one of the very few individuals that knows how to be, that you don't necessarily have to directly fight Space Marines in order to beat them. And the Perfectia campaign, including the, the Agrellan campaign, are all prime examples of this, you know, 3D chess player at work. Um, now, this, this Perfectia ends up being kind of a, uh, it, it, ends, it ends up being a Tau victory. Um, uh, Shadow Sun uh, does, she's not, she's not, she, she, she doesn't have a perfect track record. She'll, she'll lose at uh, a planet called Voltaurus, uh, which is a, which is a Terran, uh, a House Terran world. Uh, and for those of you who don't know who House Terran is, they're, they're Imperial Knights. Uh, these giant, you know, these huge walkers they're not as big as titans but um uh they're very, they're, uh, they're they're kind of like a they're almost like the like a space they're they're like a different type of space marine if you if 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 the culture of the space marines these kind of heraldic knights uh went in the direction of like wanting to drive mini titans um shadow sun loses at voltaurus she's not able to take uh the 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 traditional uh, seat of terran um but again, she falls back, and and it's okay that she falls back because the Tau don't really value uh, retreat in the same way that humanity does. Uh, this does, however, mean that the Imperium does build up their own little, you know, their their, their own kind of uh, mini momentum uh, when they're in at Voltaurus try to assault uh, the Tau again at uh, uh, in a Grelin space now Mugaleth Bay, um, and in so doing the uh the raven guard chapter master who i mentioned earlier on severax uh basically just gets outplayed by shadow sun and i really want to stress this because it's this moment right here that both the tau will start being taken seriously as a threat to the hegemony of the imperium and shadow sun steps into a tier above commander farsight the, this guy severax is hunting her and trying to uh, basically trying to uh, get her to reveal herself, and Shadow Sun actually adopts. Uh, she adopts this, um, and I'm sorry, this is on the planet Perfectia. Uh, she adopts a defensive stance, um, something very dangerous for a Tau commander to do. Um, she utilizes the tide wall uh, and the and the drone ports to really excellent effect, uh, knowing that the the Imperium needs to attack key positions. She hardens those positions, and then she operates kind of. She kind of threads the needle between them, uh, hitting targets of opportunity as need be. Now, Severax knows that Shadow Sun in this campaign is the linchpin. Um, he knows that he's experiencing some kind of meta strategy, 
and as a result, he he takes it on himself uh, to also make an oath to go after her. And at first, it's it's pretty successful, you know. I mean, she uh, he he uh, he corners her every now and again. She she usually has to get out uh, do, with with cost of life uh, to her to her bodyguards as well as her more trusted warriors, um, uh, which she takes really personally. Uh, and and I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Severax is also a space marine, so he's also kind of a juggernaut and. And he does take it. He ta- he takes advantage of when he drives her off. He then kind of subsequently uh, follows up with with all of these like uh, minor attacks to kind of dislodge the Tau from the region. However, what Shadow Sun ends up doing, she has a conversation with Anva. And again, this is kind of a strike two for Anva, in my opinion. Anva decides, and I don't know why he does this, but he decides to take a direct viewpoint as to what should happen next in the war. Um, we've talked about it before the ethereals are not obviously in black and white they are the leaders of the commonwealth they are the de facto uh, uh masters of of what is de- what determines the greater good however in almost every other instance that we have of ethereals ethereals are always demurring to caste leadership like uh for example um when a Tau facility came under attack by Death Watch uh, uh, during the Third Sphere, the commander of that facility, uh, uh, a, a, a Fireblade, um, ordered an ethereal to be withdrawn and, and kind of put into a bunker um, for his own safety. The ethereal protests and says that, you know, Kind of like say, says he wants to be where the action is, and the fireblade uh, basically pulls rank on the ethereal, and the guy is the, the guy is sent to to a, to a secure location. Um, that's just one example. Um, ethereals very often kind of trust the the casts to do what they do best. Each of the casts is specialized to accomplish a, a function. And the ethereals are basically kind of like the embodiment of balance between all of the different castes. Um, and you can obviously see the results of not having any ethereals in the enclaves uh, is that the fire cast uh, is in a, in, it has adopted kind of a state of uh, almost like a military junta, uh, a, a period of, of near total war, um, of which you know gets covered not only in the Tyranid codexes, but also the Orc codexes, where basically Farsight has, over the course of the last 200 years, has bit off way more than he can chew, but doesn't know how to solve the problem except to just be a better and better uh, warrior um, and to engage on wider and wider fronts. So it's it's interesting to see. Obviously, his society is successful, um, but it is out of balance. For Anva to do this, um, to bring it back to Shadow Sun, Anva basically says that the war is not is not continuing apace, that, that Shadow Sun needs to pick up, you know, the momentum that she had when she took a Growlin. Uh, Perfectia is turning into a siege. And for some reason, Anva says, like, it's time for you to, like, really put your neck out there. Um, and now this is successful. Shadow Sun agrees with him, uh, despite having reservations, and she herself commits to be the bait. Now, in Kaon, Kaon uh, requires that uh, something be uh, bait for the prey. And Shadow Sun puts herself out there by creating 
10 identical uh, XV-22 suits uh, piloted by some of her best uh, soldiers, her, her best warriors. Um, and they start appearing all over uh, Perfectia, which drives Corsaro Khan nuts and makes Severax actually pull back as he tries to figure out which one is the real Shadow Sun. Using his, you know, using his hubris against him, uh, Shadow Sun basically picks one of her subordinates to engage Severax directly once he's cornered her. Once he's cornered her. Uh, and what ends up happening is that uh, Severax kills that, uh, kills the, the, that warrior, and Shadow Sun appears in a ghost kill and cuts him in half. Now, that's like, that's like win winning the ultimate game of cups, you know? or at least thinking that you won the ultimate game of cups and then the person switching all the cups around uh pulls a gun on you and kills you like it's it's a massive blow to the raven guard and the raven guard if you guys know that uh, any of their history like they have a lot of problems with the imperium they they have a tendency of mistrusting uh more than aligning and when they lose their chapter master uh it is it is a huge blow to the chapter and they're basically uh, taken out of the fight. And shortly thereafter, Corsaro Khan has to basically give up the chance of trying to find Shadow Sun, and the Imperial forces give up on Prefectia. It's a massive loss. So within the span of a year, you have a hive planet uh, get taken and a fortress world uh, be taken as well. Um, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really awesome. And, and I, I do hope more people uh, can appreciate just the level of genius that it takes in order to fight these beings, like physically, but then also be fighting with them strategically. Um, that planet, by the way, Perfectia, is renamed Vastalos uh, and, and is, is in the southern region of the Damocles Gulf. Uh, it, it'll become the doorway to the Tau continuing to push west into the gilded war uh, into the gilded worlds um i don't think and obviously with 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 stuff coming out and more more lore always being unveiled by games workshop uh i would say that the, the imperium doesn't ever really recover from these two losses uh obviously what happens next is that the and everybody knows this part of the story i think um but the uh, the imperium creates uh, a second da Damocles Crusade. Uh, this time it is led uh, more or less by Corsaro Khan, uh, who attacks Agrelin. Um, there are also uh, other such uh, Imperial luminaries like uh, like uh, Knight Commander Pask, uh, who is in charge of uh, kind of these giant uh, war engines. You know, the, the Imperium really, after the loss of Severax, uh, the Tau no longer are a sideshow. They become they become the main problem in the Eastern Fringe, and ultimately, this will be a pyrrhic victory for Shadow Sun because while she was expecting this to eventually happen, like we like we've kind of covered before, uh, I don't think that she realized what the full weight of an Imperial Crusade looks like. Um, on a single on a single planet. Uh, now keep in mind, uh, I always like to remind people that around this time the Zeist campaign also happens. Uh, the Zeist campaign campaign takes place in the uh, the 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 sector that's right next to the Timbra 
subsector or the Lathesh sector, as it's also known, uh, which is the larger body. Um, the Zeist sector is attacked by a massive uh, ultramarine force uh, led by Cato Sicarius, um, who is regarded, I think, by at, at least at least in terms of uh, ultramarine lore, Cato Sicarius was is kind of uh, a lot of people view him as the guy that's going to take over from Arnie's Calgar when he goes. Uh, he leads 1,200 Space Marines in a massive lightning quick uh, campaign uh, against the Tau holdings in Zeist. And if we're going to look at this like historians, that's basically where the third sphere stops in terms of its expansion. Before that, it was expanding kind of in all, in, in all directions in the Imperium. After the Zeist campaign, Shadow Sun orders the Firecast to start consolidating on their gains. Uh, and she does this just in time for the Second Crusade to be launched against her. Now, we could talk about that probably. I mean, there is so much detail on the Battle of Mugulath Bay. Uh, there are new weapons that get uh, brought, to the, brought to the fore. Uh, Farsight shows up again. And just a note on Farsight, because um, I think that this is a really interesting moment in Shadow Sun's career. Uh, Shadow Sun is leading in a massive defense, and it's finally being overwhelmed. And at, at, at the moment that's most needed, Farsight literally like dives out of the sky at the head of a massive uh, enclavite uh, force and basically sweeps the Imperial uh, spearhead aside. During this time, Farsight, who has a history with Shadow Sun, it's not really expanded upon in the books. Just It's just, they just regard each other and they kind of like, they, they both spend a little bit of time referencing uh, Commander Puritide, their, their teacher, um, but they don't really talk about much else. What, instead, what I'd like to bring up is the fact that Farsight gets out of his, uh, his crisis suit. He walks into Shadow Sun's military command, where Anva is. So they're in the same room. Uh, Farsight's not in his, you know, isn't sealed behind any armor or anything. He's, he, he's, he's got a cape um, and uh, he walks in and uh, he regards everybody like with a little bit of respect. Uh, he chooses not to respect Anva, but Anva kind of has like, has a moment where he kind of acknowledges that Farsight is there and actually kind of treats him with a little bit, at, at least recognition of of who he is and what he represented. Um, they exchange a few terse words. Uh, is a little bit worried because some of the Tau in the room are like, are, are paying Farsight a little bit too much attention. And it's Shadow Sun that actually kind of, let's say de-escalates the situation and basically says, the only way that they're going to be able to uh, kind of go forward is go forward together. And Farsight actually agrees with, with her and says, for the, you know, I mean, as is the fashion, says, for the greater good, he will all work together. And for those of you who, you know, might still think that the Tao have some kind of mind control or something like that, the book Montka really enunciates that the ethereals, if they do have some kind of pheromonal power, um, it's not what the Imperium thinks. Most of most of what we know, at least on the surface of the Tau culture, unless you spend you know way too many hours like myself, like constantly like going over sources and stuff like that, uh, 
the Imperium just call, they just call it mind control, but clearly in action, it isn't mind control. Otherwise, this would have been the perfect moment for Anva, one of the most uh, powerful and venerated beings in uh, Tau society, to just throw on a switch and subdue Farsight right there. He doesn't. Um, to ca the, the capture of Farsight in order to try him for uh, uh, rebellion and treason um, would have probably been more valuable than the than the taking of a planet like a Grelin. Um, Farsight is a divisive character, and and Tau society has suffered from that division ever since he left. But that doesn't happen. Instead, Shadow Sun is the one to bring everybody to the table and to organize the defense of this brand new Sept world. And Farsight listens to her. It's really, it's really just a, it's a really great moment. And it's something, again, that I, I, I hope that people realize that Shadow Sun uh, is, is just punching way above her weight class in terms of how much, let's call it, screen time she gets or, 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 or how many books are dedicated to who. Uh, she's, she's a brilliant tactician. Um, to kind of sum it up, and I know we're, we're getting close, uh, what I'd like to basically just kind of wrap up Shadow Sun Chapter 2 with uh, is also with, with the fact that ultimately Mugulath Bay is uh, relatively destroyed. Um, the campaign does end in a victory for the Tau. Uh, an, assassin, uh, an assassination force uh, is sent um, with a decree from Terra um, to, to wipe out all of the leaders of the Tau Commonwealth that are on the planet. They, they, it's a huge failure, except that they, uh, they do manage to kill Anva. Uh, in the resulting uh, kind of, let, let's call it the, the, the chaos of what happens after, uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus then unleashes a, a hitherto unknown uh, weapon on Mugaleth Bay. Uh, it's basically uh, it's a new form of exterminatus. Uh, think of it as, think of it as almost like a planetary flamethrower. Um, and while there are survivors on the planet, um, the one area that is uh, inhabited by the Tau, a, a kind of a, a hive that was in the process of being converted into a into a Tau uh, colony, um, its shields do hold. Uh, but but the planet itself is kind of just burnt to a cinder, and it's it's interesting because in the Tau Codex, Mugalath Bay is still on the map, but it is not regarded as a sept. Anva's uh, Anva's death is kind of is 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 covered over. Um, I, again, I I only blame that guy. He shouldn't have been on the front lines. Uh, he there are several moments where he doesn't listen to Shadow Sun and. And I, I, I think of his, his death as a, as a result of his own, uh, his own hubris, um, his own belief in his, uh, in his, uh, his cause. And Shadow Sun herself pulls back to the Empire proper. Um, now, where that puts us in terms of where Shadow Sun is in modern 40K, now, now some of you might have heard that, and I've brought it up a couple times, that there has been this gigantic retcon that's happened. We've lost about 200 years of Warhammer 40K time. Uh, the, the retcon is not due to vagaries in the warp. It is a very specific uh, 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 mandate from on high. 
they're, they're, the, the, the Gilliman books have been rewritten and republished. And so we're in a really strange place with Shadow Sun because I'll, I'll tell you what we kind of do know. Um, in the subsequent years after uh, the Battle of Mughalath Bay, um, the Cicatrix Maledictum, uh, this giant galaxy-spanning uh, warp rift, splits the galaxy in half. And what the Tau High Command, the, the, the overall High Councils determine, is that they've, the, the Tau uh, Commonwealth is kind of trapped. Uh, the, the border has hardened um, on, the, on the northwest and southern uh, boundaries of sept space. Uh, the third sphere is kind of uh, is entrenched um, in, a, in, a, in kind of a grueling combat. Um, we have lost Velcan Sept. Uh, if, you, if you look at the map, the Hadix anomaly is where the Cicatrix Maledictum ends. So Velcan Sept was, in, uh, was very close to the Hadix anomaly. So that's two Septs gone and who knows how many planets uh, and star systems that are, that are just literally just nobody knows what happened to them. So what the Ethereals decree and what is taken up by the water and earth cast is an attempt to make a massive uh, warp translation. And if, I believe the numbers that get thrown around are about half of the cast's uh, material and soldiery is sent to the third sphere. The reserves are sent to create a fourth sphere. Um, but catastrophe strikes at Numenar Point and that, that that formation of ships and warriors and colonists gets really just gets scattered throughout the galaxy. Um, in subsequent rule books, as well as uh, a handful of other of the Space Marine books, there is a regular mention of Tau forces like appearing in weird random places. Uh, for example, uh, the Blood Angels report that a a sizable Tau a uh, fleet is seen near Ball. Now that's crazy, because Ball is nowhere near uh, the the Tau uh, Commonwealth or uh, the Nemyar Atoll, which is where the fourth sphere kind of uh, comes out in force and colonizes uh, several worlds, uh, which is close to um, Brimlock, which is kind of a the let's call it the religious capital of the Ultima Segmentum. Um, a really bad place, to, by the way, for the Tau, since uh, the humans of that particular region of space are extremely devout to the Emperor. Uh, and there are several really notable uh, Sisters of Battle, uh, Ecclesiarchy, and Saint planets in that region. So not a good place to be. Um, this fourth sphere is kind of where is kind of where our knowledge ends on an official level when it comes to the retcon. Um, but what the last Tau Codex described, uh, or excuse me, the Codex Supplement described, is that a fifth sphere is basically launched uh, with Shadow Sun at the head of it. Now, this is, this is, it gets complicated because at this point, Shadow Sun is, I mean, from the point of her birth, she is over 200 years old. And even if she's been in and out of uh, cryo, uh, cryo freeze, She's at least at this point in her 60s or 70s, which is, which is pretty old, um, especially for a Tau. Um, but she's put in charge of 
the kind of like this fifth sphere. Um, but in the book, that was 200 years relatively after the um, the initial uh, uh, the initial uh, launch of the fourth sphere. Now, with the retcon, it's closer to 12 years. So we're in a strange place with her. And 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 another question I would have, just in terms of lore and where it's going is she's out in the fifth sphere now in a place called the Nemyar Atoll about uh, I think something like over a thousand light years away from uh, Tau Sept space and in one of the very few communications that we we have regarding that uh, they are attacked by a massive uh, uh, death guard force and Shadow Sun is said to specifically uh stand down from guarding this portal. I I should have mentioned there's like a wormhole connecting uh, the atoll to the zone of silence in, in the, uh, in the Tau second sphere. Um, This wormhole is, is incredibly well defended. Uh, It's about as, it's about as well defended as uh, Tau itself, which I've always found interesting because we very rarely get to hear about actual defenses of, of the home world, but it, it, it does say that this wormhole is extremely well defended, but Shadow Sun basically makes the decision that she's not going to sacrifice more of her people out in the fifth sphere in order to stop the Death Guard from entering the wormhole. And her last communication that is uh, intercepted, um, I believe by Atal, Sept, and, uh, and the Zone of Silence fleets, the Warden fleets that are there, are basically her saying, you know, prepare for a massive assault. Um, and I'm really intrigued by that because that decision to let Death Guard, Death Guard, you know, and, you know, if you don't know who the Death Guard are, you know, think zombies meet space marines, to let a force of Death Guard to basically come out inside of the second sphere and Commonwealth space is, is, is so incredibly dangerous. It's, it's like thinking that you can keep a pet zombie, you know, like it's going to bite somebody. And the fact that she makes that decision says something, I think, about her mental state. And I'd like to close with this. Shadow Sun is very much the hero that the, that the Tao deserve. Um, she's self-sacrificing. She's not grandiose. She's, she, she basically, she's everything that Farsight should have been. Um, she's a consummate warrior. Let, let's not forget that. Um, she, uh, she's, she's innovative. She's adapt, she adapts to situations. And her presence actually makes the casts stronger, where Farsight uh, really focuses on a firecast way of thinking. He, and that, and that's, that's pretty typical for firecast commanders. Shadow Sun is an outlier. On top of that, she is the last of Kiru's line. And Kiru's bloodline, uh, her father, Kiru, uh, this bloodline goes back to the, the, the kind of the start of Tao civilization in space. She is, she is everything that you would want to be leading um, the Tao people in, 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 this, in these uncertain times. But I think and this happens to Tao from time to time. I do still think that Farsight is more wrecked about the fact that he witnessed the murder of three ethereals on Arthas Malak. Uh, when Tao experienced the death 
of an ethereal because be it psychological perhaps there's there's a there's a biological element um but when it happens the tau become extremely uh let's call it human um they start dwelling on thoughts of revenge they start thinking about how they're going to make up for this like this 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 failure um and i think when shadow sun witnessed the corpse of anva i think her mind was broken a little and keep in mind you know she's she kept going right she she kept she 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 obviously uh traveled with ethereals during the fifth sphere and and reprimanded the fourth sphere commanders for killing auxiliaries and things like that she's still a scion of the of the greater good but for her to let the death guard go a part of me wonders if we're looking at a potential fifth sphere event where it also becomes very much like the enclaves um where where shadow sun is going to start becoming a little bit more uh of the belief that she either knows what should be done um or she is realizing the same thing that farsight realized in in that quote that we 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 brought up a couple episodes that each must find their own way and that as you get further and further into the 40k galaxy it starts to kind of corrupt you and i wonder if that's where we're going with shadow sun otherwise she is the in my opinion the ultimate tau character she's the she's the best that they have and she's probably i mean stat stat wise in terms of what she's accomplished in her lifespan she's at the level of like a primarch who knows where she's going but if you've uh, enjoyed the last two episodes you know you just i don't think that there's a, and as you do your own research research obviously um i don't think that there's a better example of a tau character out there uh and probably one of the best 40k characters that they've come up with in the last 20 years Hey everybody. So in light of some of the things that have been going around on the internet, we just wanted to make sure that it's very clear that this podcast is in no way affiliated with Games Workshop or any of their copyright. Um this is entirely fan-made and we do so for the benefit of the community. Um join us next week and don't forget to like, subscribe and follow us. If you Uh, are interested in joining our part of the community you can come to the discord channel tau40.000 we all look forward to seeing you there it's a good it's a good place especially if you want to argue about tau blood color